0: Uh, there are a lot of bald people or sh- <laughs> shaved-headed people. whoever produced the video made sure that we were aware of it. Uh, for a lot of the ladies I uh, think that men don't talk, that's not necessarily true. Men actually talk a lot when the women are not there. <laughs> and I'm not sure why that is. Perhaps we can't get a word in elsewhere when the women are there. Or no, 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 I'm not, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Okay, let me try that again. Um, But uh, the men were talking quite a bit. In fact, they had a two-hour open mic session where men were just sharing, and it was a great time. So thank you so much uh, for that. Hey, if you're part of the church or if you're a believer, I don't know if you realize this, but you have an estranged older brother. He never shows up to family gatherings, but you see him around the community quite often, perhaps at work if you've been paying attention enough. The church has an estranged older brother, and his name is Israel. And let me tell you, Israel is quite small, but a remarkable individual. As a nation... The nation of Israel is only about half the size of the county of San Bernardino. So if you live in Chino Hills, the county that you live in is twice the size of the whole nation of Israel. They have only about 6.5 million people in the nation of Israel compared to 10 million people in Los Angeles County. The country is significantly smaller than any of the surrounding nations, and in fact, it is at the, uh, the center of three continents where they meet uh, africa europe and asia one writer says of israel and the jewish people if the statistics are right the jewish the jews constitute but one quarter of one percent of the human race properly the jew ought hardly to be heard of but he is heard of has always been heard of and his importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk his contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and abstruse learning are very out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and has done it with his hands tied behind him. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, and Persians rose, filled, with, uh, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff. And passed away. The Greeks and the Romans followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. What is the secret of Israel's immortality? And let me give you a simple answer as to why Israel is such a small but a significant nation that is both loved and loathed not only in the world but throughout history. And it's a real simple reason. Israel is God's chosen race. Israel is God's chosen race. In Genesis chapter twelve, God uh, chooses a particular individual, Abram, and says to him in Genesis twelve two and three, "And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will be I will bless those who bless you, and will and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth." Shall be blessed not only does God say that your descendants will be a great nation but anyone who blesses you I will bless you and anyone who curses you I will curse them. Generations later when the descendants of Abraham became a nation in Exodus chapter 19 through 24 they stand at the foot of Mount Sinai and God calls these people my treasured possession among all peoples a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now Paul, who was a Jew, had become a Christian. He had received Jesus as the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for. But the problem is that as he looked around, the vast majority of the other Jewish brothers of his had not, they had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so he wrestles with two questions. Has God wholly rejected Israel? And is that rejection final? Now, uh, let me give you, uh, by way of, of a few disclaimers. First of all, my brother in law is Jewish. My younger sister's husband is Jewish. He's not a Messianic Jew. And so this is kind of personal to me in this past Easter. Uh, in fact, he was at our Living Hope. Uh, worshiping with us, and uh, I was uh, grateful for the, him and his family for being here. Uh, the second disclaimer is that um, I spent some time in Israel while I was in seminary. In fact, I s- spent three weeks there uh, studying the geography history, uh, taking tours of the nation and stuff. Um, this is a prayer shawl that I bought uh, when I was uh, there, and uh, I have an interest in it, uh, not only as a pastor, just p- but personally, but in the third uh, disclaimer that I have is this: that this sermon is going to feel a little bit academic, like it is a history, geography, pol- a politics, Bible class. And so, if you can kind of um, be patient with me. Two questions. First question is this: Has God wholly rejected Israel? Has God wholly rejected Israel? This is found in verse one. Has God rejected His people? To which Paul immediately answers. By no means. And he says, no, God has not rejected uh, your older brother. God has not rejected his uh, chosen race. Two reasons. First of all, because of the remnants. The case of the remnants. He says, first of all, look at me. I myself, verse 1, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm as Jewish as can be, but God has not rejected me. As I know Jesus. Not only that, Paul shows an example of Israel's history when there seems to have been an hopelessness, a hopelessness, a wide-scale rejection, but there has always been a remnant. There was a period of time when Israel was divided into two after a civil war, a North Israel and a South Israel. North Israel had gone completely apostate. Uh, they were not really a, uh, a God-fearing nation anymore. And there was a particular prophet by the name of Elijah. He battled the prophets of Baal. Uh, but because he was, um, there was an order out for his, uh, his execution and ass assassination, he was hiding in a cave, distraught. And verses 2 through 4 speaks about that particular time. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know when the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to baal, and so even during that time when Elijah thought he was really uh, he was alone, he wasn't alone. there was always a group, a remnant in which God had kept, and the second case as to why. God has not wholly rejected Israel. It is the case of grace. Yes, Israel as a whole may have been disobedient. They have re- may have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not because uh, there are some who will be good, who will be righteous, who will be deserving of salvation. But look at verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen not by works, but by grace, a gift. Verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. There will be some who will stay true to God and his message, not because they were good or moral or religious or they more, no more, but simply because God's will, God will choose to give them grace. And so verse 7, what then Israel failed to obtain what is seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. There will be uh, a vast majority who will be hardened, but there will always be uh, the elect. The people may reject God, but God will not give up on his son, on those whom he called. So the first question was this, has God rejected wholly the nation of Israel? And the answer is absolutely no. And the second question is this, has God irrevocably rejected Israel? Verse 11, so I ask, did they, Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? Is their um, is rejection final? Are they no longer God's treasured possession, kingdom of priests, and a holy nation? Now, uh, Catapult, um, youth kids, I know you're in here, and it looks like a lot of the junior high students are here, and uh, I was trying to think of a funny illustration. Uh, I was trying really hard, but I couldn't, okay? And so because I couldn't think of a funny joker story, what I decided to do is give you an SAT word. I know, and I know more than you, but your parents will appreciate that you're coming to church on Sunday and you're learning an SAT word. So uh, s- say this with me, irrevocable. They seem like they're... Um, at hagwon or, you know, like those SAT prep classes, irrevocable. Okay. <laughs> um, irrevocable means unable to be retracted or reversed or final. The root word, okay, that's how you have to study sometime, right? Uh, root word uh, is in Latin, vocare, which means to call. Um, and you put a re on it, so you get revoke. It means to take back. And you add another negative to it, so uh, it's irrevocable. That you are unable to retract or reverse it. Was God's rejection of Israel complete and final? And he answers that question by saying, by no means. Is our estranged brother forever lost? And he's saying, by no means. He gives three reasons why. The first is that the case of the Gentiles, verse eleven, through their or the or the Jews trespass, through the, uh, the disobedience of the nation of Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles. the The rejection of Israel of their Messiah has somehow become a catalyst for the Gentile world to receive. The gospel message now let me explain how this kind of worked in history you see paul and the other missionaries would go to different towns and what they would do is they would go to the synagogue the synagogue is like the jewish church of the day and they would go to the synagogue and preach a message from the old testament saying hey the prophets spoke of the messiah and the messiah was here died on the cross raised again and this Messiah is Jesus of Nazarene. And some Jews accepted, but there was a fractured. many rejected. And when they rejected, they became hostile to the Christian message. And so when that happened, uh, the missionary would reach out to the Gentiles, the non-Jews outside of the synagogue, and many of them would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is arguing this, that if... He had, or the missionaries had gone to the synagogues, the Jewish church, and the vast majority of the Jews had accepted what would have happened to the gospel message is this, that it would have become merely a sect, uh, a sect of Judaism, that we would have known Christianity as merely a sect of Judaism, and we would not be here today as a bunch of Gentiles worshiping a Jewish messiah. And so uh, has God forever rejected Israel and says, "No, I, I just even in their rejection do you realize that God used them to, to present the gospel to others?" Uh, and beyond that, secondly, the, there's a, uh, the root of Israel, the root of Israel. God used them in their root. And God uses a, me- and Paul uses a metaphor to try to kind of explain this. He uses the metaphor of grafting. Um, grafting is a horticultural technique in which you take the root or a pla- uh, the the plant or a tree that's already planted. You take that rootstock and you cut off a branch, and then you uh, you graft or glue or uh, You uh, place a different branch of a different tree or a plant, and then you get a, a new tree. And so, for example, you can have a lemon tree cut off a branch, attach the branch of a tangerine tree, and what you get is a tree that can produce lemons as well as tangerines. Right And so you see an example of the grafting on the left there, and that's a tree on the right that has lemons and tangerines. Can you see that?? Right, And God calls the rootstock Israel and the new branch that has been grafted in the church. And what God is reminding us of uh, is, is this: that we reject Israel, or we think they're forever lost, but don't you, uh, uh, don't neglect the fact that we are rooted. In Israel, and that we ought not to be arrogant about it. Do you realize that we worship a Jewish king? We uh, look at the Bible, which is written by by Jewish authors. This is my my Jewish my my Hebrew Old Testament. Do you realize that a lot of what we do, some of our traditions, even and we'll have communion, is based upon Jewish heritage and traditions, do you realize, can you turn to your neighbor, ask, um, ask three people at least, what, what, get their names, can, can you turn to your neighbors and ask what their names are? Turn to your neighbors, find the names of at least three people. Names of at least three people, okay? Do you know that we're uh, a room, I, I think most of us in here are Gentiles, we're a room filled with Gentiles, but a vast number of you are named after old Jewish people? Benjamin, Joel, Joshua, Caleb, David, Daniel, Anna, Elizabeth, Chris, Mary, you know you're all named after Jewish people, right? You do know that, right? Um, I wasn't sure how uh, true my intuition is, so I, I looked at our church's database, <laughs> pulled the names of our active adult members, took the top 24 most common names at Living Hope. Okay? Out of the top 24 names at Living Hope, 15 are named after old Jewish people. Three of them, you may not know that you're named after Jewish things, but uh, three of the names, other popular names, are actually uh, from Hebrew. My family, Steve, Hannah, Christine, are all named after Jewish people. Janice is the only oddball. (laughs) But her name is actually derived from the Hebrew word, God is gracious. We're so much more inundated with our older brother's culture than we realize. And God reminds the church, don't be arrogant. The final uh, admonition and the final reason, um, the final thing that he reminds us of is the future of Israel, the future of Israel. Verse 28, and uh, this is like an interesting verse. Uh, And I want you to think, still, as a church, we have an estranged older brother, okay? The church has had a love-hate relationship with its older brother. Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they, the Jews, Israel, are are enemies for your sake. The older brothers have become almost an enemy of the church, In regards to the gospel. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. We have a love hate relationship with Israel. If you think about the Jewish people throughout history, I I want you to wonder aloud with me the unique way in which the Christianized Western culture world has treated Israel throughout history. The primary uh, the primary goal of the crusades was to liberate Jerusalem from the Muslims, but Jews became the second target. They would go and, and say to Jews, you need to either convert, or they would, suffered the consequences. 12,000 Jews in Rhine Valley alone were killed during the First Crusade. After the Black black Plague, in which 25 million people died in Europe, people noticed that the Jews uh, were uh, suffering in smaller percentages. We know now that it's probably because of their dietary and sanitary laws from the Old Testament, But the Europeans thought that they might have something to do with it. It might have been sorcery or or something. And so they targeted the Jews, and Europeans uh, tortured, murdered, and burned tens of thousands of Jews because of the Black Plague. The Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, instituted by the Pope during that time 13,000 secret Jews. Were put on trial, where hundreds are burnt at stake, while others are forced to convert or be exiled. The Jews, the Jews, are uh, blamed for the assassination of Alexander II in Russia. Pilgrims, which were formal or informally sanctioned um, persecution of Jews and their towns, were allowed. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are forcibly moved from Russia. About 100,000 died uh, during the process. And Fiddler on the Roof, if you, if you remember that movie, that, they were, that was a pogrom going on. And what perhaps uh, many of you would be more, most familiar with is what happened during World War II. We know when we think about the personification of evil, we often think about Hitler. But I don't know if you realize that one of the vehicles, the tools, the, the PR bent that Hitler used was a Christian bent. He needed a scapegoat to unite Germany and Russia, saying this is the reason why we are struggling economically uh, as a nation, as a people. In his book, a Main Kampf, in 1925, Hitler wrote... Today, I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. By defending myself against the Jew, I am fighting for the work of the Lord. Surprisingly, many conservative, not only Roman Catholic clergy, but Protestant pastors also spoke against the Jews on radio and in publications. When children, when Jewish children were becoming uh, were de- uh, getting deported into concentration camp, well, um, they, someone appealed to the Pope at that time, and the Pope said, "This, there is no innocent blood of Jewish children in the world. All Jewish blood is guilty. This is the punishment that has been awaiting you because of that sin of they side, which uh, which is in reference to the Jews killing of Jesus. So, what they claimed." As you may know, nearly six million Jews, or about two thirds of the Jews in all of Europe, perished during the Holocaust. The Jews were both a loved but loathed nation. And the Christian world, Christian culture, Christian society had a love hate relationship with them. Winston Churchill said of the Jews, Some people like the Jews and some do not, but no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are beyond any question the most formidable and most remarkable race which has appeared in the world. And the question is, has God given up on our older brother? The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and the promise that God made to the nation of Israel in Exodus is that all nothing, has that disappeared? Is it irrevocable, the rejection? Verses 23 and 24, and you know this whole chapter, although it's not that interesting to Gentiles, but to Jewish Christians, this is so important to them. Verses 23 and 24, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has given, God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, now, cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into cultivated uh, olive tree, how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Will there not be a time when that, when that broken off branch be grafted back in? And in verse 25, he says, certainly that will happen. Verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, Brothers. It's a mystery, it's hard to understand, church, but a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now, we're in the season of a partial hardening of the nation of Israel. But there will be a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and Luke chapter 21 talks about um, a time when the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled And when this all happens, verse 26, it says, all Israel will be saved. Now, what does this mean? Now, no one believes that every single uh, Jew will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No one's ever thought that. And when the scripture talks about all or something, it's not every single, but all Israel. And there's um, there's a little bit of debate within the church where Um, whether this means Israel as an ethnic group or a figurative Israel, but Tim Keller, and I agree with him, says that this clearly means ethnic Israel in contrast to the Gentiles. That Israel as a nation or as a collective group will, will be restored, will come to know and worship their Messiah. Revelation chapter seven speaks of a time In the future, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. And he talks about the tribe from Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. Many of you know uh, there's something, there's something about the nation of israel what are the lessons that we can learn from this Uh, there are just two the first is that god operates out of grace god God operates god operates out of grace in case you and i are tempted to think well what's wrong with the jews or what's wrong with them any person that's outside the church you look at anyone who's operating immorally or atheistically and we may be tempted to think what's wrong with them why can't they be like me, I want you to understand verses 30 through 32. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned, consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all the reason why you and I are saved is not because we are obedient, but God decided to have mercy on us. And he says in verse 29, and God will be gracious to Israel eventually because for the gifts and the calling of God are, here's that word again, irrevocable. There's a second lesson to be learned here. There's a second lesson, and it says that we need to trust God to be God. You know, let me tell you a little bit about the history of Israel. Um, uh, Jesus uh, died and rose again about 33 AD or so. In about 70 AD, and about 40 years later, uh, the Roman Empire came down on Israel. Uh, they, they destroyed the wall, the temple. Israel no longer uh, existed as a sovereign nation. The flag, uh, the flag of David, uh, didn't fly anywhere, and so the Christian world began to kind of look at the scripture and try to figure out, well, what do all these promises mean of the temple, of the land, of the people? When when the scripture talks about a time when this uh, God will restore them, what does it mean? And so the church tried to explain all of this uh, by saying, well, maybe it was figurative, and the Jews really have no plan for the future. For some 2,000 years, the church tried to explain the Bible without Israel um, as a a supporting caste in the future. The, perhaps one of the most significant horror, uh, horrific events that occurred for the Jews was the Holocaust. Like I said, some six million perished. As a result of the Holocaust, the Jews were trying to escape Europe Desperately, two thirds perished, right? But when, when Jews would get on, on ships and they would try to uh, go to different European nations or even America, they were turned back. We don't want you. They didn't quite know what to do. The UN eventually stepped in and did not force nations to take them, but said, You can go back to Palestine and try to reform your nation if you want. And so the Zionist movement was formed, and the Jews came back. Um, and in 1948, they were declared a sovereign nation again. Uh, by all estimation, they should have been decimated. And during the Six Day War, the, the surrounding nations all attacked them, but they somehow miraculously survived. Uh, you know, when, when you think historically, geopolitical histor- uh, historically, this is a miracle. A nation, a people, a culture, a language that uh, did not um, survive in a sovereign land, a a group, 2,000 years later can reform as a country. Most of us are too young to remember a time when Israel did not exist. We think of them as a strong, powerful, economically influential nation For me, I don't know about you. For me, if someone were to ask, why do you believe in the Bible? One of the reasons why I would say I think the Bible is true, one of the reasons that I would say is because I look, and from the beginning God says to Abraham Abraham, and then to uh, the Hebrew people in Exodus that they are a chosen race, And I look around, and the world history tried to silence them, but somehow God kept them not only surviving, but thriving. It's a mystery. Verses 33 on. And this is Paul's response as he thinks about how his own people have rejected the Messiah. And he's just kind of trusting that God will be good to them somehow, and God will keep the promises that he made to his forefather, Abraham. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory, forever amen although today's message might have been about the nation of Israel and the Hebrew people I want you to know that it's really about the father what happens when an older brother becomes estranged what happens when the father who so deeply loved the older brother but the older brother says no no I, I don't want anything to do with you what happens Well, we're eventually uh, taught or or told is this though the older brother may reject the father will not give up and though there will be times listen if you are a believer here today if you have a child who is a believer and though there will be times and we are disobedient we are rebellious we want to reject God God will be faithful to his promise to hold on to us And that is, I believe, the great lesson that we can learn from observing how God loves our older brother, our estranged brother. You know, I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time, and I'm going to ask the servers to come up at this time. You know, there's one thing that we do here at the church, and it's called communion. And we sometimes think that it is just a Christian thing that this is just kind of unique to the Christian culture, and that it's something that Jesus kind of started as a tradition in the upper room. Uh, But I don't know if you realize that uh, the communion was just an extension of what the Jews had been doing for years, and it is the Passover table. And the Passover was first um, seen when the Jews were all uh, in captivity in Egypt and they, they needed and, and cried desperately to be liberated and God's grace was upon them and God told uh, them through Moses uh, to, to put sprinkled blood on the doorpost of your home, gather together, take bread, take wine and do this together and death will pass over you by grace. And since then, the Jews had come together and celebrated the Passover, that God's grace was upon them. And Jesus came, and John the Baptist says, you are the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sits with his disciples and says, let me do this, but I want you to understand that I am that Lamb of God will be slain that you do not have to pay the penalty of your sins because i will do it for you and we share in that message um, and we we pray for our older brothers we pray for those outside the church that they will also come to understand this message as well the band will begin to play and this will be an invitation. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, I would ask you to observe. If you are and there's still things that you're wrestling with, you know, just bring them to the Lord's table and say, Lord, this is yours. Um, take my wrestling. Take my disobedience. Would you forgive me and would you renew my life once again?